we are, uh, we're jumping into a brand new series um, in which we're talking about what do we do when God is silent? How do we, like, how, God, how do we know that you care and that you're there? And, and, and what do we do when he, when he seems to be distant? Where it seems like he doesn't care about me. He's not listening to my prayers. Like my prayers seem like they're just, they hit the ceiling and that's it. It feels like, it feels like, God, you're so distant. I can't hear from you or experience you. And, and, and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm gonna imagine in a room this size with this many people, there has to, I know that there are people who are, you are in that mode right now. If there are a number of us who right now, you're going, man, this is what I need to hear because I'm there. Like I'm at the spot where, where I'm going, man, life is, seems like everything's going forward and everything's moving. And, and for whatever reason, man, it just, I just don't feel as close to the Lord as maybe I once did or, or maybe I never did. And I'm just trying to just figure this out. What do we do when we can't hear from God? So, so we're gonna spend four weeks um, kind of addressing this, this topic, this, answering this question from four different angles. So it's not just sort of like a one-stop, like, you know, you walk away from today and be like, man, I got it, I got my answer. But for some of us, it will feel like that. Like, all right, all right, now I think I have a good idea, good, I have a good direction moving forward. And then for a number of us, next week, it'll be, okay, now that makes sense, that makes sense. And then for others of us, it may be week three where you go, all right, now, now I get it. Now I see it. So my, my challenge, my hope, my encouragement to you is to say, all right, I'm gonna come to all of these. Not because like, we're, you know, we, like, we, we want you here every week, though we do want you here every week. I really do want you to be able to hear this from, from these different angles because, because if you're in that mode right now where you're feeling like, God, where are you? Then, then you, like this is, this is probably the most important thing you need to do is to figure out, God, what do I do? And others of us, maybe you're not there, but listen, you will be. There may be a time in your future where you say, I'm there now, like I, God, man, God seems silent. And maybe you're not there now, but when you do get to that point, when it does, when that, when that time comes, when you, it feels like, where is he? All right, I can recall, I can remember man, here's some of the, maybe some of the reasons, or, or here's, here's, here's what, I, what I know I need to do now. Let me start by, by encouraging you, and I'll do this every week, that if you are in that spot where you're saying, God, you, oh man, you seem so distant. You seem silent right now. Let me just tell you this. First, you are in good company. Because this experience, this kind of, this, this mode, this environment is shared with a lot of people who literally wrote the scriptures. Pillars of the faith who also went through periods of experiencing the silence or distance from God. And it isn't because, ready? It isn't because you are a failure. And it isn't because God's like singling you out that, you know, it, it can feel like this. You look around and go, man, I bet everyone else has this all figured out except me. And then you ask your neighbor and they say, I think all of you have this figured out except me. And then their neighbor says, I think you guys have this all except me. And you realize, man, 
We all, we all don't have this figured out. And instead we say, Lord, we need more of you. So if you're in that experience, if you're in that mode right now where you're saying, God, where are you? Let me just read some of the other authors, like what, what other authors of scripture wrote. These are pillars of the faith. These are people who we would say, man, like I, I, wanna, I wanna have faith like them. Here's some of the things that they wrote. Job, Job wrote this. Now, if you know anything about Job, you and I don't ever wanna be Job. Right? You never want to be compared. Like, you never want to hear this. I promise you. You never want to hear this. Man, your life reminds me a lot of Job. Like, it sounds just, you, you, like, that's not the experience you want. But let's look at what he wrote. In Job chapter 30, towards the end of the book of Job, um, he says this, I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. He felt it. Psalm 83, verse 1, it says, Oh God, do not remain silent. Do not turn a deaf ear. He felt it. Psalm 28, verse one. To you, Lord, I call. You are my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you remain silent, it will be like, like those who go down to the pit. He felt it. Psalm 22, verse two. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Habakkuk, he starts off his short book by saying this, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Why is God silent? And, and, what, and what do we do about it? So we're gonna look at, at, um, at a chapter in a book that maybe is not, probably not one that we read often. It's not one that, you know, you come on Sundays. It's not one you've heard a lot of sermons from. And, and we're gonna, like, over the course of this series, kind of look at passages that, that really kind of are obscure, just simply not, like, common ones we look at. And we're gonna start this morning by looking at, at Jeremiah. Here's the first thing we're gonna see. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. God feels silent, number one, when he calls us and we, we don't answer. That would be really awkward to answer right now too and be like, that was, that was perfect. That was great. Should have planned it. We should have planned it. Whoever you are, talk to me next time. We're gonna set some stuff up. God, God feels, that's great. God feels silent when we do life without him. When we live our life apart from him. Now, we're gonna look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah, um, uh, if you know anything about Jeremiah, Jeremiah easily, easily my least favorite prophet. Not that you're supposed to like not have favorites, but he, he is terrible. Okay, Jeremiah is easily the saddest author probably in scripture. Jeremiah writes and it's very, it's very depressing and, and, like, and, and frustrating and it's just, everything's a downer. And, and Jeremiah is extremely long-winded. I don't know if he was paid like per word <laughs> because here's what, here's what maybe we don't realize. Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah is the longest book of the Bible. We often think it's Psalms because there's 150 Psalms, but a lot of them are really short. Jeremiah is like, still going, man. I got more to write. I got more to write. It's super depressing and it's really long. So when you get to Jeremiah, man, and it makes sense because when you read about his life and we'll, we'll kind of give you some context about like the situation that is going on at this time, you realize oh man, he didn't have much to be happy about. 
Jeremiah um, takes place, he lives during the era of what's called the divided kingdom of the Old Testament. So um, in the Old Testament, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of history. And, and part of this history is, a lot of it is actually the divided kingdom. So Israel exists as a country, as a nation, has a king. And after Solomon, King Solomon dies. So you have, uh, you have King Saul and then King David, a good king, and then his son, King Solomon, who was like, did some good, but then, you know, if you know about Solomon too, he like, he had some, he had some growing up to do. He had some rough patches. He dies and Israel goes through a civil war because they can't agree on who's in charge and what to do next. So they have a divided kingdom and they fight and it becomes the Northern kingdom and the Southern kingdom and they split up. So Israel is made up of 12 tribes. Think of it like 12 states kind of thing. So 12 tribes, 10 of those all stay together. They become Israel. They're the northern kingdom. Two stick together. They become the southern kingdom and they become known as Judah. So you now have what was Israel is now Israel, the top 10, and then Judah, the bottom two. Um, uh, after Solomon dies, they split up. And, this ha- and then these two, these two uh, dynasties or kingdoms exist kind of parallel with each other. In, and we read all about them in the scriptures. They are parallel to each other and, until we get, to, uh, we get to Jeremiah's time. Now, by the time Jeremiah comes on, um, uh, the northern kingdom, which is known as Israel, has now been conquered. The northern kings, so each of these kingdoms had their own kings. So there's two kings kind of in Israel or two Jewish kings going on at the same time. And the northern kings, there wasn't a single good king. And here's how they were described. Here's how you knew if it was a good king or a bad king. Um, They would be described as this. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. If you're described as doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, that was sort of a, a statement over your entire reign and you were a bad king. And not like you didn't, it's not that like, oh, you, you know, you should have made some other decisions. No, no, no. A bad king, meaning you left, you, 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 uh, you influenced people to leave me and to worship other gods and to, and to do all of the things that I told you not to do, to break all the commandments. You wanted your people to do that. It was really bad. And then the Southern kingdom had a number of bad kings, but they also had some good kings kind of sprinkled in that were like, they didn't do what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. They did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so for them, like, Great job. We had some good kings. Josiah was one of them. It was like, man, he kept it going. So, so Israel becomes conquered. They, be, they get conquered as a, as a means of discipline that God says, you can't keep doing this. And so he lets the enemies of them, Babylon, conquer Israel. Israel at this point is gone. Now what we have left is Judah. And Judah, because they have a few good kings, they, they, they still continue on, but now they're at the end. And Jeremiah shows up in the, probably the mid-600s to 500s BC, and it's his job now to kind of give them one final warning. This is sort of the, hey, this is your, this is the, the, the last, this is your last shot. And, and, and he's preaching and he's, 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 uh, he's, he's warning the people to repent and they don't do it. Even though they've had some good kings, the people still, they still don't listen. And they still won't repent and return. So after years of disobedience, finally, Judah is conquered and Jerusalem is destroyed. Jerusalem at this point is a part of Judah and and Babylon comes now and they take over now the southern part. So now all of Israel is now Babylon. Israel doesn't exist anymore. It's literally destroyed, wiped off. And they become now part of Babylon. This same time period is where we see uh, the book of Lamentations show up and it's a lament over what happened in Jerusalem. 
it's very, again, very sad and depressing. Guess who wrote it? You, you, you are Bible scholars. How did you know that? Because Jeremiah is super sad, right? So he wrote Lamentations as well. This is also the same time uh, as Daniel, the book of Daniel. Daniel is one of the exiles who, when he was just a teenager, um, Jerusalem gets conquered and all of Judah, and he becomes a captive of Babylon, and he now goes to Babylon, and, and he has these experiences um, in Babylon, and he writes them down. And that's where we get the book of Daniel. He has these visions, and he spends the rest of his life, he never gets to go home, the rest of his life, in Babylon, dreaming of what it would be like. And at the end, he gets to see his people go back, but he stays. That's this time period. So Jeremiah is kind of a contemporary um, of Daniel. So here's what we see. We talk about God feels silent when we do life without him. Here's what Jeremiah says in chapter two of Jeremiah. He's speaking now uh, as God's prophet, and here's what he says. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. This is God speaking. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. And then he says this. God is now gonna give charges against them. It's almost like a courtroom scene where he's gonna, he's gonna act as the prosecutor who says like, here's the charges we're bringing against you. And in, in, in Jeremiah, it'll say, God will even say, I have this charge against you and I have this charge against you. And, and here's what we see. Verse 12, it says this, be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. Two, here they are, ready? Number one, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, that's important. They've forsaken me, and the second, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot, cannot hold water. So they've done two things, ready? Ready? They've forsaken me, the source of this living water, and instead what they've done is they've dug cisterns, broken cisterns that don't hold water. Now, for us, we hear that and we say, okay, that doesn't seem so bad. Like of all the sins you could do, I mean, the forsaken you, that's not great. Dig your own cisterns, like that just sounds wise. Cisterns were how they, were how they stored water. So in Israel... There were three ways to get, uh, to get water, especially in, uh, in ancient times and, and certainly in, in Judah. This, but this was all over in any desert kind of arid land. There were three ways, only three ways by which you got water. By the way, it's hard to live without water, right? Every town, every city you go to, you need water. So they would build cities and towns around water. And if there was no water to be found, they'd have to come up with some, some new solution. So you'd be in complete desert dryness and all of a sudden, uh, out of nowhere, there's a city. You're going, how? How is this possible? Well, there's one of three ways. Number one, you build your city by some sort of stream or river of running water that is, that is uh, continually existing, right? So there's a water that's there year round because it doesn't help to have water for four months and then no water for eight months, right? So so there's a stream. You, 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 you build by a sea or a stream or, uh, or, um, or a lake or some kind, right? Or number two, you find, uh, you find kind of an underground spring or river and you build a well. So you find water, you're digging, you find water and you say, put a well here and that becomes sort of city center. We're gonna build our city now. We found water. It's underground, but we found it. Now we can build with, you know, in the middle of nowhere, you can have a place where we can live because there's water. If you don't have those two, you do the third option, which is you build a cistern. Here's a cistern. It's super elaborate, ready? It is a big hole in the ground. That's it. 
It's an elaborate hole in the ground, but it's, it's a big hole in the ground and its only job is to collect rainwater. So in Israel, like in a lot of desert lands, it's very dry, but then when it does rain, it doesn't sprinkle. It is a flash flood. If you've ever been there, there's videos. You can go online and, and you know, look up these like flash floods and they'll like wash out streets and entire areas because it's so dry, the water can't go underground fast enough and it just flows everywhere. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable if you've ever seen this. It's so much water. So they build cisterns strategically to collect this rainwater. So here's a, here's a, a diagram of a cistern. Here's what it'll look like. So you have um, a place on top where you can get the water, a stone cover you can remove and then, you know, uh, drop down a bucket or whatever. You'd have places where the, it would drain in. So you'd have all these drains all around the cistern, all around the area, and they would all lead to this one, this one huge hole in the ground. But uh, if you ever dug a hole, you realize that when you put water in it, the water just goes, it's just gone. So you have to line it with something. They line it with limestone, like a plaster lining, a cement-like substance that, that they would get from limestone, and that would make it watertight, waterproof, right? So here's some, here's some pictures of real cisterns. These are, these are huge, by the way. I mean, they, a cistern could be as big as this room. I mean, they're huge. So here's, here's, a, here's a kind of a typical cistern, right? It's underground. It would collect water, and it's underground because light will ruin your water. It'll make it stagnant. It'll make, it'll, it'll, uh, make it uh, begin to have mold and mildew. And so like what light is the enemy of water. So they keep it underground in the dark and they build these huge cisterns. Here's another one that they found. This was 1,500 year old cistern um, uh, that, uh, that they found. Get this, this is funny. So that's a guy snorkeling. He's like, oh, this water looks beautiful. And he wanted to jump in. Um, and uh, they found this under a playground in Jerusalem. Just like, you know, like, like hey, well, we're just digging and look what we found. They're all over the place because cisterns were how you survived. And then uh, here's another, oh, look, look at that guy. That, that's from a few years ago. Uh, that was clean-shaven uh, little baby face guy. Um, you, you go to, if you go to Jerusalem, there are these cisterns you're standing and going, man, this is huge. And, and here's the deal. When, these, when it rains, when you get these flash floods, these huge cisterns, they fill up in minutes. There's that much water and it's that quick. And then those cisterns will last for months, even maybe even a year. There's that much water that all happens. Now, when we see this, when, when, when the Lord is writing specifically, you, have, you build your cisterns, but they're broken. They know exactly what he's talking about. This is an illustration that you and I go, ah, we need a little bit of homework on this. For them, they know what that means. And a broken cistern is when the plaster is cracked or broken and all the water leaks out. So he says to you, to them, here's what you've done. You've left me. You've forsaken me, the source of your water. And instead, you've tried to dig your own cistern to collect your own water. And you don't even realize it's broken. And it's not even holding this life-giving water that, that you want. That I provide, but you don't want from me. The this, this, this sins that he has isn't that they built cisterns. It's an illustration of you've decided to turn away from me and do this on your own. And he says, man, I'm, I can't believe you did this. That they, that they decided to do life without God. For us, man, God feels silent when you and I, we do the same thing. And not even maybe intentionally where we're saying, you know what? You know what, Lord, tomorrow I'm forsaking you. Just, let, just giving you a heads up. I don't think any of us ever do that. But here's what happens. We realize we get to a point where maybe over the course of, of weeks or months or years, we just slowly drift and we get to a point where we realize, man, I'm nowhere near where I used to be with you. And he says, oh man, 
I wish, I wish you would just return to me. Instead, you and I, we get comfortable or distracted or we try to do life on our own. We try to meet our own needs. And he's saying, ooh, this is becoming awfully close to building our own broken cisterns. So here's what we see. God feels silent when we, when we try to do life on our own. Jeremiah's gonna continue, and here's, here's the next thing we'll see. That God feels silent when we trust other things above him. God continues to warn his people, and it isn't just a matter of, hey, you've forsaken me and you've built your own cisterns. Now he's gonna get specific. And, and, and just, you can hear the emotion. I mean, there's, a, there's so much emotion written in the scriptures, and there's so much emotion when God speaks. Just, 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 we'll just read through it and just, just, just get the sense of like how he's feeling about their decisions. Jeremiah chapter two, now we'll jump down a few verses to 26, and it says this, as a thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the people of Israel are disgraced there. They, their kings, their officials, their priests, and their prophets. He says, just like when a, when a thief gets caught and now they're in shame because they got caught, he says, you, Israel, have been caught. You, your kings, your priests, your prophets, all of them have been caught. You've been caught leaving me, building your own cisterns to sustain your own lives on your own apart from me, and I caught you. And now, and now, you've been disgraced. He goes on, verse 27. They say to wood, you are my father, and to stone, you gave me birth. They have turned their backs to me, not their faces. Yet, when they are in trouble, they, they say, come and save us. He says this, when, instead of looking at me, you've turned instead to wood, like wooden idols or stone, like carved into different idols of different gods. And instead of coming to me, you go to them. But then, but then when life gets hard, then you come back to me and you say, oh, come save us. Even though you've, You've put your trust in these other things. And then he says this, where, verse 28, where then are the gods you made for yourselves? These other gods that you put your trust in, where are they now? Let them come if they can save you when you are in trouble. For you, Judah, you have as many gods as you have towns. This critique that God has against them is you've created a God for everything and you trust them and you pursue them and you worship them. And then when life gets hard, you say, oh, but God, please save us. And God says, you know what? I'm tired of this. It, this makes sense when you recognize and realize that for God, idolatry is so much worse. Idolatry is not just simply like, well, you've decided to worship something else. Or uh, uh, There's a reason it's in the Ten Commandments. The, like the first one, you don't have any other gods before me. Man, that, that made a commandment. Yes, it made a commandment. Because for God, idolatry is adultery. Idolatry is unfaithfulness. Idolatry is when you're in a relationship and you say, I don't want you anymore. I'm going to go to this one instead. And he says, how could you do that? done everything for you and you go to all these other relationships with all these other things that you think are going to save you and then and then you come back to me and say oh actually never mind I'm so sorry please save me and he says you know what let those other let those other wooden and stone idols save you 
You've left my relationship, a relationship with me for these, all of these other things. Now, here's some of the gods that they had. One of the main uh, goddesses is named Asherah, and Asherah is worshiped as the source of water. Um, Asherah, if you go to Israel today, you can see in certain areas they're called Asherah poles. Kind of like when you think of like totem poles, like these kind of like carved, like, like a pole statue things. Um, and these were, these were how they worshiped this goddess Asherah. And what do you know? Israel and Judah began putting up Asherah poles to worship Asherah. Another God that's really well known in scripture in the Old Testament that, uh, that Jeremiah even speaks out against is, is Baal. It's B-A-A-L. It's actually pronounced Baal. And Baal worship or Baal worship becomes very, very terrible. One of the ways that they worshiped Baal was by sacrificing their own children. Now, in society today, I wonder... I wonder if we ever do the same thing. And before you answer, our first thought is like, no, 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 we don't sacrifice our children. We, oh, but actually, boy, we sure do, don't we? We sure do use our children often as pawns in some game, thinking that somehow they're ours to do with what we want. And, and we sacrifice them to the gods of whatever we worship today. This was no different. And so Baal worship was, was, uh, was very prevalent. And what do you know? What do you know? Judah began doing that as well. Ooh. Dagon was another, uh, another worship, another god, a Philistine fish god, the father of Baal. And, and he supposedly he was the god of fish and was like this mermaid, merman kind of like structure and, 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 and was like, all right, we, we worship him. And, and what do you know? Judah began building statues of Dagon. Um. And then there's another one, Marduk. Marduk was the Babylonian god. It was the king over all the gods. Marduk was worshiped in Babylon. This was the, the god that, that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's the god that they were gonna be forced to worship. And they said, no, 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 we're not doing this. We don't have, we don't worship Marduk. What's up, buddy? How are you? Hi, how are you? Do you like this so far? It's pretty good stuff, right? Yeah, I agree. You like church? That's awesome. Wish all of you said that sometime. <laughs> so back to these false gods that we're talking about here in church. <laughs> so Marduk was this other false god that they would worship. And what do you know? Judah began doing this. Now, we don't have these gods. Thankfully, we don't worship these gods. But what we do have, we have some others, don't we? So you, when you came in, you, you got these, these rocks, right? They worship, and the Lord even says, you worship these, these gods of stone. And, and we, don't, we don't worship gods of wood or of, or of stone. What we do is we worship, you know what we worship? We worship, we worship this. We worship a paper god, don't we, right? We look at this and we say, no, 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 this, this, I trust. I know it says in God we trust, but we don't mean it. We want this. We, we trust in our bank accounts, in, in our ability to make more of this, right? Yes, real money, yeah. I'll give this to you later if you want to sit right there. Yeah, I, I knew that would work. I knew it. I have kids. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> 
We worship this, right? We don't worship, we don't worship the idols that they do. We don't worship Baal or Marduk, but you know what we do? We do, we certainly worship metal and electronics and computers and technology. In fact, in fact, in society, we think technology will be the thing to save us, right? We look at this and we say, man, this is, this is great. This is the few, this is, what, this is what I trust in. We have other things that we trust in more than just, just paper or, or electronics. There's other things that, 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 that aren't tangible that we don't touch. Some of the things that we worship, we worship, ready for this? We worship our, our intellect, our ability to, to, what we think is to, to be smarter than the other people to be the smartest person in the room, or we trust in our ability, our ability to, to, to come up with any solution, right? That, ah, man, I'm, I won't say this, but man, I really, I really do think I am smarter, faster, better. And, and, and we're encouraged to live that way, right? We, we certainly trust in our own abilities here. Um, we also trust in not just like our own intellect, we trust in the things that make us happy. I put my trust, I put my trust in the things that give me joy, right? In fact, in fact, what we're told in society today is, hey, whatever makes you happy, pursue that at any cost, regardless of the consequences, it doesn't matter. And here's the deal, ready? Anyone who judges you for that, it's their problem, not yours. You do what makes you happy, whatever that is doesn't matter. Pursue that. I wish, I wish I could tell you how many times I've been sitting with couples that are on the brink of divorce because they say, well, they don't make me happy anymore, so I want to find a new person to make me happy. And as much as we say, hey, I want to pursue the Lord, this becomes the thing that we trust, that I want to pursue my happiness above all else. Boy, we, we certainly trust in the things that make us happy. Or we trust in, in our accomplishments and, and maybe our careers. And we say, ah, oh, I'm just gonna keep climbing the ladder. I'm gonna pursue the next thing, the next promotion. In fact, I'm gonna work extra hours and extra time. And I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, work myself to a, a point where it's, it's affecting the family and all that so I can get to the next spot and the next ladder and the next rung on that ladder just to realize there's still one more rung. Hey, honey, I know I got there, but there's still one more. There's a new position that I gotta, I gotta we're gonna try and get there. And, you, and you're climbing this ladder and you get to, if, some of us, some of you, you did a great job climbing. Honestly, you did a great job. And you're on the top rung only to realize like the, the higher you get on the ladder, the more headaches you get. That at the top, the air is a little thinner. It's harder to breathe. There's not as many people up there. It's, it's lonely. And you realize, man, I think I was happier when I was down a few rungs. But, but, the American dream, right? The, the, keep, keep advancing, keep getting more. And so we trust that if we just keep increasing, advancing, man, it's, it'll fix all our problems. Honey, it's gonna fix all our problems. The more we advance, the more we get more of the paper and the more it can buy us more of the stuff. And, and then we'll be happy. Man, we trust, we certainly trust in that. And then, and then maybe the last thing, the, the thing that we trust more than anything else, we trust in our own ego. In ourselves. In fact, we'll think, now we, again, you won't say this, but we really do think, like as a people, that the world exists to help and serve us. That it really does revolve around us. From an early age, if you have kids, you know this to be true. 
that, that we really, and we think, we continue to think that we are the most important thing that exists. And we live our life to meet our needs instead of other people. And what happens is we begin to trust in our own ability to just say, I'm gonna meet my needs. We build our own cisterns. Now, you have uh, a rock when you came in, right? Okay. This, this, if you didn't get it, you can get it on your way out. But this um, is not, is not to, uh, to stone me if we go long, please. This is not for you to use, okay? This is for you to take home because this represents the things in your life that you are tempted to trust instead of the Lord, whatever it may be. And for us, it, it's all different. These rocks are all different shapes and sizes and whatever yours is, like this is the reminder. So go home, like part of what we're gonna be talking about this whole series is to remind ourselves that we aren't supposed to and, and it, would be, it would be silly to trust in all of this stuff even though we do it. And so it's a reminder to say, I'm going to trust not in these things or myself, but instead the Lord. So I, I'm asking, I want you to do this. I want you to put this in your home for the course of this series, to put it in a, pro, in a prominent place where you're gonna see it. Maybe in, on a dresser or in your bathroom or on a counter or in a kitchen or whatever as a family. And, and this is just a rock. It doesn't mean anything. We're finding meaning to this. this. This represents the temptation to trust in anything else but the Lord. So I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna do with this, but this is for you to take home to remind yourself, all right, I do not, I do not want to be like Israel or Judah that decided they would, they would turn their backs to God, not their face to God. So we, we can feel that God is silent when we decide to trust in things above him. And here's the, the next thing, here's the, the answer. So what do we do now? God feels silent, certainly, when we do life without him and when we, when we trust in other things. So what do we do? Here's the answer, ready? God can be found when we seek him. This is kind of the first step in this process, in this, this, this month-long experience where we're gonna talk about what it means, like how we pursue God when he's silent. The first thing is to find him when you seek him. The, easily the, the most famous verse in Jeremiah, maybe in the scriptures that you know, probably the only verse in Jeremiah that you know is Jeremiah chapter 29, right? What verse is it? 11, you know this one, right? It's on greeting cards, we love this verse. So let's read this verse. This is now the answer. Now this is now halfway through the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is about 50 chapters or so. And halfway through, this is kind of depressing after, you know, one after the, and you're just going, man, this is rough. Jeremiah, this is really, really just terrible. He gets to 29, verse 11, and it's the Lord speaking, and he says this to his people who are now have been captured and are in exile and are no longer in their homes. And he says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. We know that verse and we will love that verse. We claim that verse. Now let's keep reading because there's other verses, right? And the, the, the rules to reading scripture, there's, you remember the three rules from when we did this in, in January? What were the three rules? Man, you guys, some of you at least really listen. What's the context of this verse? So let's keep reading. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And then he says this in verse 13. 
you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. He says, I have a plan for you. And this, listen, this is brought about by your own, your own disobedience, your own desire to, like, to leave me and turn to other gods, but I have a plan for you. And it isn't. It isn't harm. I'm go- listen, just wait this out. And here's the deal. Ready? You will find me. Ready? When you seek me with all your heart. I'm here. I'm not far. I'm not far off at all. In fact, in Acts 17, we get a little commentary here um, about why God, like God puts people in certain places and, and draws borders and nations and he does all of this, builds all this plan. And it says this, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out and, for him and find him. And then here it is. This is the part that applies to us. Though he is not far from any one of us. We get this, we get this little comment that, that God does this that we would find him. And then he says, but hold on here. Because the thought often is, man, God is so far away. And he's like, he's universes away. And I pray and, and he doesn't hear me. And it just feels like he doesn't care about me. And he's so, like, he's so busy doing other stuff with other people. And he just has no time for me. But what we're told here is, is actually, actually, guys, ready? He's not far from you at all. He says, hey, listen, you're going to find me. When you seek me with all your... You will, when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart because I'm not far from you at all. I'm not far at all. The issue then isn't always that God is silent. We see this, God is always near to us, but we aren't always listening. The issue Sometimes, for some of us, now this isn't always the case, and we'll keep looking at this as we go, but for a lot of us, it isn't that God is silent or absent. It's simply this. You're not listening for him. You can't hear him. And one of the reasons is because of all this other stuff that we trust in and and all of the other distractions in our lives. So here's your homework. Ready? Number one, you're gonna take your, your, your rock home, Put it somewhere to remind you, all right, this, this is our reminder. As a family, as a couple, as if and you have your roommates, whatever, in your, in your spot, this is to remind us to not trust in stuff, but to trust in the Lord. And, and then here's what you're gonna do. Number one, you're gonna remove one distraction from your life. You decide. Not all distractions, how can we do that? But one distraction. Here's what that might look like. You know what? I'm gonna watch one less Netflix show. Lord, I'm going to sacrifice. For you, I'll do it. I'm going to do one, one less thing that, that vies for my attention, whatever it may be. I'm going to watch one less sports game. It's, it's possible now. It's not football season. You can do it. You can do it. I'm going to do, listen, it, it may be, it may well be. You know what? For 30 minutes a day, I'm gonna put this thing away. I'm gonna turn it off. I'm gonna put it on silent. Do not disturb. I'm just gonna, like for, for 30 minutes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be distraction free. Whatever it may be, you're gonna decide. I want, this is, this is, I'm serious. I really wanna challenge you to do this. We're gonna decide, maybe as a family, we're gonna do one distraction. And, to, and for this series, just say, we're gonna, we're gonna remove this from our life for one month. You can do this. And then here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Fill that time, instead of whatever you were gonna do, fill that time by focusing specifically on the Lord. And here's what, here's what I mean, ready? It means this, I'm gonna open up my Bible and maybe it's been a while since I read this thing. All right, this is the, this is the time. 
where I'm, I'm going to intentionally remove distractions and I'm gonna fill that time by focusing on you. If you don't know where to start, if you have no idea, you're like, okay, what do I do? Where do I, where, how do I do this? That's a great question. I'm gonna make it, it's super easy, ready? Start with the book of John and just read a chapter a day. That's it, just one chapter. It'll take you five minutes, maybe. Read one chapter. Day one, you read John chapter one. So far, you're tracking? Okay. Day two, guess what you're gonna read? John chapter two. It, it, yeah, you, you got it. Okay, we don't need to continue. You got it. There's 21 chapters in John. In three weeks, you have read the gospel of John. And, and it may be, it may be the most you've read the scriptures in a long time, and you're just saying, all right, I could do this. One chapter a day. Remove distractions. Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus on you. I wanna read your word. I wanna read about Jesus, what you did. And I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna intentionally seek you with all my heart. And let's just see what happens. As a church, what will happen if we all take this seriously and say, I'm in, all right, I'm in. And all of us collectively are saying, all right, we're gonna focus specific time, intentional time on the Lord. And just to see, let's just listen for what he says. Take your rock home as your reminder to not focus on stuff, but to focus instead on him. Remove a distraction and then fill that time with the Lord. Can we do this, church? Yes, okay, good. Will you do this, church? That's a different question. My challenge and encouragement is to say, all right, I'm in. I'm in. And let's just see what the Lord does. Will you stand with me? We're gonna worship here in a second, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray uh, for us as we get ready to, to sing to the Lord and then go home and, and, and decide to make this a priority for us. So Lord, we, uh, will you pray with me? So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the, man, the difficult and often um, distressing and depressing words of Jeremiah, but wow, how they are so appropriate for us today. Help us and remind us to instead of trusting in ourselves, instead of building our own broken cisterns that can't hold the, the water, the living water of life, help us to remind us to instead turn our face towards you, the source of living water. As a church, as a people, as your people, we want to hear from you. So will you help us remove distractions from our lives and in doing so, as we focus on you, Lord, we ask that you speak. That you meet each and every one of us over the course of the next three weeks that, that we would experience you, I pray, Lord, in new and fresh ways, maybe in ways we've never heard before. We give you our lives, we give you our time, and we say, Lord, we want to hear from you. We love you, Lord, we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.